Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this message. Ephesians chapter 5, here for me, is one of the most, uh, I don't know what term to use, idealist, people think of me as an idealist, I think this is one of the most idealistic statements ever made in all of Scripture. And in some way, I balk at this, and I wonder, Paul, are you fully aware of what you just said in Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators of God. At that point, I'd close the book and I'd say, I don't know about that one. Be imitators of God. I mean, the scriptures do say, Paul says, be imitators of me. Okay, I know Paul is a fallen uh, believer desiring to have followed the Lord to the best of his ability. We could say, follow one another. It even is haunting to think of the scripture saying, be, be imitators of Messiah. The summer before Mary Lou and I came here, we had a sabbatical. And so we spent that summer, Brian and I spent something like a month, 20, 22 days, I think it was, sailing the high seas uh, of the Atlantic up and down the seaboard, North Carolina and so on. I felt badly for Brian because I told him, I said, my mind is going to be on some other things as I brought a caseload of books that I was going to be reading on this sabbatical. It wasn't a caseload, a slight exaggeration, but enough books that he wondered, when are you going to find time to read all that? So, well, you know, just while we're sailing. Well, you've got to do your part, too, to get us from point A to point B. I said, Brian, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And we were fine. But one of the books I brought with me was written by a monk in 1380. And that monk's name was a fellow by the name of Thomas Akempis. And his book is one of the most published books of all time. And that is the book entitled Imitation of, dare I say it, Christ. The Imitation of Messiah. I don't know if any of you have read that book. I had not read it before. I had it on my shelf for years and years and years. It was like an old library copy, you know, that I had picked off the shelf and maybe it was in a library for sale. And I said, you know, I should read this one day and picked it up, put it on the shelf and hadn't looked at it really for years. And I was on the sabbatical. I'm thinking, what book should I read, you know? And I saw, I said, I should read that. And as I began to read Thomas Akempis's work, about imitating Messiah. Oh my goodness. It was just such a riveting text for me. And it was a challenging one, as well as an encouraging one. But I say that to say the title of the book is daunting, to imitate our Messiah. But what Paul says here, 
is even more daunting to be imitators of God himself. How do we imitate God? I mean, that is like uh, so lofty a thought. And then in verse one, he says, therefore as dearly beloved children and live a life of love, just as Messiah loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So three times the word love is here, as dearly beloved children, just live a life of love, even as Messiah loved us and gave himself for us. So there are some clues here as to what, or as to what Paul means by living as imitators of God. So let me just break down a few, few aspects here. First of all, notice the reason why we can become imitators of God first. Before we talk about what it means to be an imitator of God, how do we do this? What's the basis upon which we can do it? Look what he says. As dearly beloved children of God. So the first thing we need to realize is we can only do this because of God's love for us. We can only do this because we've become children of God. Not merely children of God, but beloved children of God. This is the very same word that's used of our heavenly father. When Yeshua was immersed by John and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the very same word that's used on the Mount of the Transfiguration, Mount Hermon. When Yeshua is transfigured in all of his glory and he says, this is my beloved son, hear him. If it is one thing to be thought of as imitating God, it is another thing for God to look down upon you and I and to call us beloved as he calls his own son beloved. I can understand him calling Yeshua beloved because everything about him is Beloved, (laughs) everything about him is lovely. Everything about him is in obedience to God because he came not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. Everything he did was in accordance with the will of God. Why wouldn't God think of him as beloved? When Messiah is in the garden of Gethsemane and he prays, he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. It is those that desire the will of God whom God beloves, most naturally. But you and I are not like that. You and I are ones like in the great divorce, I guess it says, or at least Lewis trying to depict, are ones that say, my will be done, to which God says, thus your will will be done. And thus we find ourselves alienated from God. The key here for Yeshua is he was fully submitted to the will and ways and works of God. But you and I are not. We are ones who are dead, Paul said, in trespasses and sins. We are ones about whom Paul writes the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And as ones who've received eternal life, we still fail God miserably moment by moment. And yet still God looks upon us and says, as dearly beloved children. Is that not amazing? It's amazing that we're to be called imitators of God, but it's even more amazing that God would see us as the objects of his love 
and grace. It is because of that that we can become imitators of God. If you think you can become imitators of God because I will determine to be obedient unto God, you will fail miserably, and we do. That is the way of the world. Thinking that somehow in their own strength, in their own inner fortitude, they can gain God's favor. And we do that even after we've realized we can never gain God's favor. We can only receive the free gift that is bestowed upon us. And our life has to be lived in response to his grace, his goodness, and his kindness. The first step in becoming an imitator of God is falling on our face and saying, Lord, save me. And each and every day saying, falling on our face and saying, Lord, enable me to be the kind of man or woman, boy or girl that I am meant to be this day. The second thing I think that's interesting in this passage is Paul says in verse 5, although in the New International, the words are sort of misplaced. The word therefore ought to begin the sentence. Therefore, be imitators of God. My translation has, be imitators of God, therefore. But what is the therefore, therefore? (laughs) That, That just sort of struck me as I was reading that. Why is it there? Because it points back to something that preceded what Paul says. So the question is, what does it point back to? And it points back to what he had said in verse 22, where he says, put off your old self and put on the new self. The old self is put off the way we used to live. Put off the kind of attitudes we used to embrace. Put off the things we valued as important and central to our manner of being. And now he says, but put on the new self that is reflective of the very presence of God in our lives. The therefore is saying, therefore, as ones who are putting off the old and putting on the new, be imitators of God. So now we know not only what the means is, we need to have the Spirit of God alive in our hearts by being made new and being made born again, as it were, as Yeshua says in John chapter 3. And relying upon God's gift of salvation and God's gift of working in our hearts and lives day by day, moment by moment. And it's reflected in our putting off and putting on what God has for us. Now, here's the interesting thing. Look what he told us to put off and to put on. For example, verse 25, we looked at this last week, but let's just look about this again. He says, put off falsehood. So you want to be an imitator of God? Then we have to be truthful. We have to be people of integrity. Now, when when Paul speaks about truthfulness, he doesn't just mean speaking what is real bluntly. He's talking about being trustworthy. He's talking about being loyal. He's talking about being one that can be relied upon. Because when you read about God's truthfulness, his truthfulness is displayed in the promises that he makes. And the promises that he makes are the promises that he keeps. And so being truthful means being reliable. That's why his love is faithfulness. That's why his love is reflective of his trustworthiness. So if we want to be imitators of God, 
then our truthfulness must be a kind of truthfulness that one can rely upon. One that one, that one can trust in. Take a look further what he says. Not only does he say to put off falsehood and to put on truthfulness, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, God gets angry, but God knows everything that's going on. And the anger of God is always directed at the sinfulness of human beings. The anger of God is not addressed particularly against the individual. It's against the sin of that individual. And thus judgment ensues. That's why Paul says, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Because if we wait too long, anger changes. And it can become, as he says, wrath. And now it becomes explosive and destructive. So if we want to be imitators of God, and as Dan said earlier, that humility is power under control. So righteous anger is disappointment that is under control and is directed at the right things and for minimal amount of time. So if we're to be imitators of God, we have to be in control of who we are as God is. Look further. He says not only this, but as imitators of God, we're to be constructive with our lives. He speaks about working, not stealing, but we're to be constructive in our lives. But for what purpose? To share with those in need. Now, as I was thinking about this particular moment in this passage, I came to realize that God ultimately does two things. Everything about God can be limited to just two things he does. He makes things and he repairs the things that he makes that gets broke. That's all that God does. I mean, I don't mean to minimize what God does, but everything he does is either he's making something or he's fixing something. So what happens? He creates the heavens and the earth, gets broken. So in the book of Revelation, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. He fixes it. In Genesis chapter 3, he makes human beings in his own image. They rebel against him. They uh, thwart that image in which they've been created. So what does God do? He restores us. He redeems us. He recaptures us. And he begins to recraft us into the image of his son. Paul says, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. God is either making stuff or he's fixing stuff that is broke. If you want to be an imitator of God, you have to get engaged in God's world and make stuff. And where things are broken, you have to be engaged so as to fix it. That's all God does, and that's what God wants of us. So that's why Paul will say here in Ephesians that no unwholesome talk should come out of your mouth. He uses the word rotten, by which he means fruit that goes bad. So he's saying the words that we use ought to be to fix one another, not to further break one another. Because God is in the business of healing, not breaking. 
God is in the business of making, not destroying. So our words, which can be utterly destructive, he says, needs to be words that are used for the building up, fixing of one another, not for the tearing down and destroying one another. So Paul says here that we are to work. Why ought we to work? So we can fix those who are struggling, those that are in need. He says in verse 30, and sort of the catch-all, that we're not to bring pain to the Spirit of God, but joy to the Spirit of God. And how do we do that? By being one in our Lord, by being united in our body, by being ones that bear one another's burdens, by being ones who mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. It's a matter about community engagement. It's about interaction with one another. It's about caring with one another. That's why he says at the very end, therefore be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Just as Messiah, in, uh, just as in Messiah, God forgave us. So now let's go back to chapter 5. And the reason I do this is because, remember, in the ancient text, there's no chapter divisions. There's just one run-on letter. And I think the chapter division here in chapter 5 is unfortunate. Because after Paul says, be kind and compassionate and forgive, just as God forgave you, be imitators of God like this. That's what it means to be an imitator of God. These are not just... Um, qualities we ought to develop because they're wholesome, they're good, they're beneficial, they're, it will enable us to be well-liked and appreciated. We're to be these things because that is what God is like. And we are commanded to be imitators of God. The word for imitators, by the way, here is the word from which we get the word mimic from. We're to be mimickers, mimickers of God. We're to mimic him. And how do you mimic somebody? I mean, you know those guys in the, the industry that can imitate other uh, actors and stuff? Uh, Fallon comes to mind, you know? Although I was thinking of his imitation of uh, Morrison singing The Doors, you know? And you've known individuals like that. They just imitate these guys and they sound just like them. How do they do that? Because they spend about 3,000 hours in front of the tube and tapes just listening to them and trying to get their voice and trying to you know, connect and get their mannerisms and sound just and look just like them. If you want to be an imitator of God, you have to spend time with God. God, a lot of time with God, just as anyone else. You can talk to any of my former students. Fortunately, none of them are here, but they will mimic me, and they'll use some of the phraseology that I would use, you know. I don't even remember saying some of these things, and they would say, oh, you know, Mr. D, that is you. That is what you always say. They probably got the point down, you know. (laughs) If you're going to be a mimicker, You have to spend the time with God. So how do you do that? Well, number one is you need to be in his word. Every day and moment you can be in his word. 
because his word is past finding out. I mean, it takes a lot of time to really understand what God is saying. And then it takes a lot more time to do what he is saying. If you don't spend time in his word, you can't be like him. You can't value the things he values. You can't appreciate the things he appreciates. It's not only about spending time in his word, but we certainly can't minimize that. It also means spending time with him in prayer. I said earlier, 10 o'clock, Jerry is here. Um, uh, Eleanor is here. Uh, Lorraine is here. Lorraine and Eleanor have been here, I think, every, every beginning of every service that I've been here. Maybe there are one or two. But every service, they are here. And they're praying. We may be rehearsing. They walk in here, you know, and they say, we're going to be praying for you right now. I said, thank you. Yeah, it's great. And so this morning, Jerry joined, and a couple of us joined with, with Lorraine. Unfortunately, Eleanor couldn't be here that early because of a flat tire. But I know that she was praying with us for sure. And, um, and then the, the, everyone involved in the service comes together with prayer. But we need to be praying as a body. We need to be praying as families. We need to be praying as individuals. Because to be an imitator of God, you have to spend time with God. This isn't merely about praying so that God does stuff for us. It's praying so that we can be like him. And we can imitate him. And we can do what the word instructs us to do. So just to recap. First of all, the starting point is becoming a dearly beloved child of God. You need to give your life and your heart to him if you never have. And if you have, you need to continue to do it. And not just to reflect upon that moment X number of years ago when I did it. It is a constant need for us. Because our life will be lived however we might like to live it. If we are not devoted to him. So we need to come before him each and every day. We need to put off and put on. And we need to do that deliberately. I remember Dr. Ryrie in class when talking about sanctification, becoming holy, becoming more like God. It's 100% the work of man, 100% the work of God. We partner with him, we join with him. And therefore, Paul is telling us we must put off and put on by the power of God. Thirdly, we're to be mimickers of God. That's what it means to be imitators, mimickers, which necessitates spending time with God. I mentioned the reading of the word, prayer, but worship. This is also critical to enabling us to spend time with God in corporate worship, individual. We need to worship together with one another. We need to serve. That's when we experience God's presence and power in very personal and unique ways. And here's the last point I just want to make. Imitators of God ultimately means being a reflector of the very love of God. Three times he uses the word love. We're dearly beloved. We're to live a life of love. And he says, um, and we are uh, just as Messiah loved us. I think principally there's three things that's in Paul's mind. I can't elaborate on them now, but I'll just throw them out at you. Number one, we need to live a life of love that is 
giving. It must be a giving love because that's the kind of love God exhibits. For God so loved the world that he gave. And therefore, the kind of love Paul is thinking about is a love that gives. What does it give? Ultimately, it's the giving of ourselves to one another. That's Paul's whole point in Ephesians chapter 2. That Messiah did not consider his glory as something he had to hold on to, but something he was willing to relinquish and to give away. And so what did Messiah ultimately give? Yes, he gives us gifts. He gives us life. He gives us forgiveness. Ultimately, he gave us him. And thus, he becomes our righteousness. He becomes our life. He becomes our way. He becomes our holiness. Because he just doesn't give those things. He gives himself so that we can manifest those things. If we're going to live a life of love, we have to give ourselves to one another. So I think he's thinking of a giving love. I think he's also thinking of a love, secondly, that is forgiving. Because look what he says. He says, because Messiah loved us, gave himself up to us as a fragrant offering. Look at verse 12. Forgiving each other just as Messiah, just as in Messiah, God forgave you. Notice, and this I think is very important. You can disagree with me if you like, but I think this is very important. There is the importance of confession of sin. You know the word confession means? Con means with, fess means to speak. So confession means to speak with, which is another way of saying to agree with. Confession is agreeing with God that something is how God sees it. So when we confess, we are basically saying that God sees it this way, so do I. I may not have always seen it this way, but I do now. And therefore, God, I recognize that this truly is wrong or sin or whatever it is in your eyes and therefore now in my eyes as well. But here's the neat thing to me. Confession does not initiate God's forgiveness. And there's a simple reason why. None of us can confess well. (laughs) None of us can confess our sin fully and completely. Yet God has forgiven us fully and completely. There are sins about which you have no idea. There are sins about which I have no idea. There are sins I don't even remember that I may have confessed. How wrong did I really think they were if I can't even remember them? And I I know I don't have Alzheimer's yet. (laughs) But the point is, God forgives us not on the basis of your confession, not on the basis of your repentance, but on the basis of Messiah's death for us. That is the basis upon which we are and can forgive. Because he has forgiven us. And that's what Paul says. We are to forgive each other just as in Messiah, God forgave us. So how did God forgive us in Messiah? He forgave us by the free giving of Messiah's self on the cross at Calvary. And thus, by embracing the means by which we can be forgiven, God forgives. It is not on the basis of your ability to confess. Although if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But where we fail to confess, he still forgives. 
because Messiah's death in our behalf is that powerful. And therefore, we have the assurance of eternal life because God forgives, forgives, and forgives. So what kind of love does God intend for us to manifest that would be a life of love? A love that imitates the very character of God who is love? It's a life that gives oneself, a life that freely forgives because of what Messiah has done for us, not for how well somebody grovels before us and says, I'm sorry, but because of what Messiah has already done for us. And thirdly, it is a love that is sacrificial in nature. Look what he says. Just as he became a fragrant offering, sacrifice to God. Paul's using words right out of Leviticus that speak of the sacrifice on the altar. Messiah sacrificed himself in our behalf. And God accepted that for us. So a life that imitates God must be a life of giving, a giving of oneself, not merely of things, a life of forgiving, that is a life that accepts one another, despite how often we offend one another, a life that sacrifices, that gives up ourselves for the benefit of another. No greater love has anyone than this than than to lay down his life for his friends. And Messiah laid down his life for his enemies. While we were yet enemies of God, Paul says, Messiah died for us. Well, with that, being imitators of God seems pretty daunting again. It seemed like it was attainable for a moment, didn't it? But on those last lines, it's like, oh my goodness. How do I give myself? How do I forgive fully? And how do I sacrifice what I have for others? We can only do it as God empowers us to and as we depend upon him to enable us to. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this lofty challenge. Help us, Lord, to do your will. Help us, Lord, to do your word. Help us, Lord, to imitate you in a fallen world that is in desperate need of you. And we have you to give to others. So, Lord, transform us and to make us like you would have us to be. And we know it's over time. We know it's by the working of your spirit We know that it will go on until we are in your very presence. But Lord, help us to move forward down this road in growth before you. Enable us to devote ourselves to the reading and studying of your word. Enable us, Father, to devote ourselves to prayer, which ought to be unceasing. Enable us, Father, to worship you as often as we can, both privately and publicly and in small gatherings. Help us, Lord, to connect with you because then we'll be able to connect with one another and the world around us as we should and thereby make the kind of, the kind of impact that will be life-altering and eternal in nature. So, Father, we 
present ourselves to you this morning for that purpose. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.